Good afternoon and welcome to Grounding Your Medical Device Security Program in Good Governance, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Siemens Health and Ears and Medigate by Clarity. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Health Systems CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Jason Elrod, VP and CSL with Multicare, Samantha Jacques, VP of Clinical Engineering with McLaren Healthcare, Brett Harris, Cybersecurity Officer for the Americas with Siemens Health and Ears, and Ty Greenhall, Industry Principal for Healthcare with Medigate by Clarity. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Uh, lots of great stuff to discuss today. Uh, Jason, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Um, as mentioned, I'm Jason Elrod. I'm the Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Multicare Health System. Uh, for those not familiar with Multicare, it is a not-for-profit healthcare organization uh, that's been caring for communities in the state of Washington since its founding into, as Tacoma's first hospital way back in 1882. So we are a legacy organization. Uh, um, we have uh, 12 hospitals in our systems, and uh, we've grown to be the largest not-for-profit community-based locally-owned health system in the state of Washington. Excellent, Jason. Thank you. Sam? Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Jocks. I am the Vice President of Clinical Engineering at McLaren, uh, which is also a non-for-profit healthcare system. I have 13 hospitals in the state of Michigan. Uh, we have the largest cancer network in the state as well. So um, we are also, uh, just like Jason's organization, a, a well-run, long-term organization uh, here to go ahead and serve our community. So, Excellent, Sam. Thank you. Brett? Hi, everyone. I think most people on this call will be familiar with Siemens Health and Ears or Siemens Healthcare as we used to be known. But if you aren't, we're a global medical device company with over 60,000 people worldwide. We make devices like MRI machines, and we also provide services to health care organizations like multi-vendor services and security services. I'm Siemens Health and Ears Cybersecurity Officer for the Americas region, and I'm responsible for customer-facing functions like product security discussions and security services, as well as internal cyber governance. Excellent, Brett. Thank you. Ty? Super. Um, well, uh, Medigate by Clarity is uh, enterprise-wide asset visibility and communications profiling on devices like medical devices, uh, IoT, building management systems, and providing device discovery, vulnerability and risk management, uh, network management, the ability to, to you know, take all this information that we're seeing about the devices and effectively uh, implement segmentation at scale, threat detection, lifecycle management, integrating all this data back into the uh, existing IT security stack. Uh, so, um, you know, really, really supporting uh, healthcare specifically. Medigate's always been a healthcare-focused uh, organization before it got purchased by by Clarity. And uh, uh, me, I'm the industry principal, basically subject matter expert, but understanding um, the uh, 
Dunning and Kruger effect. There is uh, there is just so much more for me to learn here. These are very deep waters, and uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm a I'm a longtime listener of the the show, and I'm sure I'm going to learn uh, even more here with this great uh, great team you have assembled. Well, thank you very much, Ty. All right, let's jump right in. We know that medical device security is one of the issues keeping CIOs and CISOs up at night. In your opinion, why is that? Why is it so hard for IT professionals to get their arms around this challenge? And interestingly, how much of this is a technology challenge versus a governance problem? So, Jason, we're going to start with you. What are your thoughts? Um, gosh, I think it it's a... So I'll answer, I'll answer the first part there. You know, why is it top of mind, right? Why is it? Uh, why is it? Why is it um, an issue right there? Um, I think it's because it's it's vastly complex. I mean, we're dealing with things from cl- uh, complex ecosystems, regulatory compliance, legacy systems, uh, rapid technology advancement, diverse vendor landscape, resource constraints, scale gaps, of course, the cyber threat landscape. Uh, visibility and management concerns, and uh, above all, patient safety. Um, so when, when you look at the, maybe just even that short list, uh, it's crucial to have a multifaceted approach to medical device security. That involves everything from policies, monitoring, training, awareness programs, um, but above all, you know, close collaboration with with vendors and and, and staff to adhere to you know the highest security standards here. Um, all that to say it's um, it's non-trivial. And so we have to have a non-trivial attention uh, given to it. Would you say it's one of your the, sort of the top three things that, that you think about, Jason? Something like um, that? I don't know if, 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 if you function that way with a, a list like that, but what are your thoughts there? Uh, everything has a priority, right? Mm-hmm. If you ask everybody, like, what's your number one priority? This. And this is my next number one priority. And my next number one priority I'm like, okay, well, what's priority 1A or 1A1 um, to, to get down to that? So you can only have one um, top priority, one number one priority. I would say medical device security, uh, medical IoT is in the probably top five for me mm-hmm. organizationally right now, um, okay. just given its complexity and interaction with patient care. Okay, very good. Uh, Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree with what Jason said, but I would I would also say I think you know the the medical device world is very different from the IT world, right? And so the the process to get a medical device approved into market um, is so much longer than it is for any laptop or server. And so um, just a fundamental basic uh, knowledge piece is that the the technology that we get to market today, if it's released today it's probably been in development for five to seven years, right, prior to this. And so the legacy technology issue is huge in the medical device world because we're not building on current platforms. And so I think, uh, you know, IT has a hard uh, a hard time getting their arms around that because they're used to a, a life cycle of somewhere between three and five years, right? We're getting new laptops, we're getting new servers, we're always on the newest version of whatever system we're on. Medical devices don't function like that. And so trying to apply the same techniques uh, from a a security perspective to something that doesn't function the same way IT devices do 
is is inherently challenging, right? And so truly understanding how medical devices work, how they're approved, how they come to market, right? Uh, and understanding how that induces additional risk into our environments is incredibly important for our IT professionals to go ahead and get their arms around. I would say though, right? A lot of the issues that we have are, are, are technology problems, right? We're building on, on platforms that are not necessarily supported anymore. But I would say um, solving those issues may not be a technology problem. I would actually say that a lot of them are governance problems, right? Understanding and, and defining what risk is okay to your organization, right? And drawing a line to how to um, uh, how to define and manage that risk, right? Uh, medical devices may, may be seen as inherently risky, but if we've implemented compensating controls to go ahead and mitigate those risks, maybe they aren't in your top five for your healthcare organization. So you mentioned that a different approach is needed because of the development time, the you know one to three years for a regular IT device versus five to seven, and that requires a different approach. Can you tell me a little bit more of your thoughts around that different approach that will be more um, appropriate? Yeah, to me, right, our organization is a very risk-focused organization, right? And so we really want to understand what is the actual risk right, for that device on your network, right? So is it internet facing, right? If it's internet facing in our world, that is a big red flag because, right, um, anybody who wants to get into our network is going to try and, and hack into those internet facing items. And so we would take a, a, a very rigorous approach to anything that that's public facing from, from a network perspective. However, if it's internal to your network, right, um, there are other things that you can possibly do to mitigate those risks. We can segment it, right, stick it on a VLAN. We can go ahead and mitigate whatever ports it's communicating on uh, to try and reduce some of those risks so that I'm not using typical IT things like patching, right, to to uh, to mitigate the, the risk that it has. But um, to, to be honest, right, I know we're talking about medical devices. It doesn't necessarily matter what's on your network, in my opinion, right? It can be a medical device, it can be an IoT device, it can be an IT device. Fundamentally, we have to understand that risk and, and address that risk the way that our organization uh, wants to from a risk mitigation perspective, right? So I'm going to tackle the riskiest things, and I'm going to leave those things that are not inherently risky um, in the way that I go ahead and, and, and uh, count and manage that risk. Does that make sense? Yep, definitely. Definitely makes sense. Uh, Brett, let's go to you. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think Sam has hit on some really important points here. Um, a big piece of it is that, like she said, medical devices are not like typical IT devices. And she named a few reasons why. Um, but one of the big things I see is that IT can't deploy their tools that they use to manage security on these devices like they do with laptops and servers and things like that. Um, a lot of times these are lockdowns, so you can't install any third-party software. You can't use those typical IT tools. And then that creates a gap between what IT can see and what IT can do and what needs to be done with a medical device. I think the other thing to think about here with medical devices is that the number one thing is clinical care and patient safety. So that's the priority. And if security gets in the way of that, then security gets shoved out the door. So really understanding the clinical context of the medical device, how it's being used, what the workflows are, and then bringing in security to support that is super important. So that is a governance technique that, you know, 
the organization needs to bring to bear with these devices. Um, so yeah, there's a technology problem. Yeah, there's a governance issue as well. Um, I would say that it's a combination of both and technology is going to play a role in solving some of these problems. Like uh, again, Sam was talking about VLAN segmentation. Like that is a technology solution to a problem, but you have to have the governance in place to say, this is what we're doing with these devices in general. Here's how we're segmenting. Here's what we're doing. Very good. Ty, your thoughts? Well, I agree with everything everybody's saying. It's uh, you know, a lot of great information. I'll try to just kind of fill, fill in some holes as, as I see them. Um, you know, the traditional IT technology that's being used uh, to identify and manage the servers and laptops of the world, they, they don't work well with the medical devices. And, and so what you end up with is, uh, you know, you see something out there and it's an IP address, but you don't know what it is. And so uh, it, if, you, if you can't see the devices, you don't know what they are on your network, it becomes very problematic in trying to manage what their vulnerability, what their risks are, what their criticality is, and how you should respond uh, to any type of uh, anomalous behavior on a device. So the, the traditional IT security tools cannot see the devices, which, you know, in my effect, or in my, my, my opinion, uh, for, a, for a CISO to try and manage a bunch of devices where they don't know what they are, creates a lot of anxiety. Uh, the, I would, I would suggest from a, from the technology and governance perspective that, you know, kick it back with a rhetorical question, which is which pair of the, you know, which side of the scissors is least important? Um, you know, you, you, you really have to have, uh, the good technology. I think that uh, having a uh, the discovery tools to be able to see OT and manage OT device medical devices, uh, you know, it's the it's the basics, it's the block and tackle, it's the NIST cybersecurity framework, the IDAM one, two, and three. There's the first three steps, and uh, whether it's uh, the uh, CIS critical security controls, you know, you need to know what your your assets are, you need to know what your um, uh, software is you need to know how they're communicating and without that you you're you're kind of flying blind uh and then you know even if you've got the the, the best tech without good governance you can't employ that and make you know leverage the data so i think that uh you, you know you really need to have both excellent i think right. ty's brought in a Go really ahead, good point here about i think ty's brought in a really good point here about visibility you can't protect what you don't know is there and historically, you know, IT has managed this by installing agents on systems. And like I was talking about before, generally you can't install those agents on systems. So having technology like Metagate, where you can do passive detection and analysis of systems, gives you that visibility into the medical devices to be able to do that proper management. Yeah. Very I good. want to add one thing to this. I, yeah, there's, there's there's three sort of categories here. There's technology challenges, there's governance challenges, and then there's that conjunction, right? The intersection of technology and governance. 
I always like that people say it's this and that. It's actually three things. It's this, that, and the conjunction. And so um, a lot of what we mentioned here are some of the technology challenges, right? I mean, legacy systems, interoperability. Can we encrypt? Can we authenticate in a modern fashion these devices? Do we have visibility? Do And does that visibility give us the, the correct level of cyber threat detection and response capability? Often not. Governance, we have policy development, regulatory compliance, uh, vendor management, you know, even if you're working in that, that uh, those components on what's in your system, who's, who are the vendors that you're partnering with, uh, resources, training, but that intersection, right? It's, it's standardization. So how do I get the technology and governance structures working together in a seamless fashion? How do I get that working? And how do I manage that? And how do I fold that into my overall enterprise risk management? Because that's really what we're doing here is we're managing risk at the level of the organization in the context of medical IoT, biomed, these types of systems. Um, and of course, continuous monitoring improvement. I mean, again, that's on both sides, on the technology and the governance. Excellent, Jason. Thank you. Um, all right, next question, Sam, we're going to start with you. Let's talk more about governance. IT, IT security, and biomed slash clinical engineering must all work together to manage medical device security and risk. What types of structures have you seen work well, which have not? Um, offer examples if you can. Um, and then I just comment below that, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, it doesn't really matter as long as we all get along. Well, that's fine. But again, there is an optimal way to have things structured. Um, so what are your thoughts there, Sam? Yeah, so uh, I'm one of those people that'll tell you it doesn't matter to me right where you report <laughs> to fundamentally right fundamentally in my world right we all need to be pulling in the same direction in order for right safety and security uh, to ensure right patient safety and so um, but I have seen a, a lot of different models right a lot of the larger systems have moved biomed under IT. Um, and look at them akin to right a workstation management type of group right they're they're people who have uh wrenches and tools and they go and fix things but they also need to understand software and security and and uh, access levels and, and vulnerability management and such I will tell you most biomed departments are slowly getting there they have not adopted a very security centric focus yet, unless you're part of a very large system. Most midsize and small hospitals uh, still report to other departments, right? So um, if you're really uh, in one of the old school hospitals, you may report to facilities, right? Uh, because that's historically where Biomed grew out of. Uh, and so, right, the facilities group as well doesn't necessarily have that focus on uh, anything software related or patching or vulnerability management. And so it's a, it's a real struggle. Um, I will say, you know, if you want to jumpstart uh, kind of the move of your of your biomed department to a more security focused, um, like like I said, I have seen a lot of hospitals realign biomed with IT. Um, I will warn you though, it is a culture clash when that occurs, right? So IT has a very different uh, help desk, uh, help end user mentality than biomed does, um, right? Uh, IT has a very, I'm going to help you remotely. I'm going to walk you through some issues, right? We're going to do it over the phone uh, where the biomeds generally have a, I'm going to go see and stand next to you while we work together. And so that can be very helpful for, for an organization to go ahead and, and bridge the gap between those two different types of cultures. Um, it can make IT much more healthcare centric, and it can make clinical engineering more uh, IT centric, right? Where where you're focused on software and and controls and things like that. So um, I won't advocate for that because, right? I've seen it work where they don't necessarily report to each other. My organization, I don't report to IT, um, but we manage to make it work. 
fundamentally, right, my take-home message for you guys is we all need to understand, right, what we're here for. And we're here for patients and we're here for patient safety. So we all need to be working on anything, right, related to security that enhances patient safety, right? Cybersecurity is patient safety. Excellent. Jason? Um, I love everything Sam said. Times two. There we go. Uh, yeah. Anything so, so like, else? Well, well, I will. I will add some of the things. I think there's there's two components here. So one is we talk about um, governance structures here. So I think um, uh, ensuring medical device security in healthcare setting it requires a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just IT. It's not just IT security. And it's not just biomed or clinical engineering. It it's all of them together. And yeah, I've seen and I've seen various models, um, and and a lot of them of uh, sank or, or swam, um, all depending on the culture. I mean, that's the other point that Sam brought. The culture clash has to be there. Everything from a centralized governance structure to decentralized to hybrid to collaborative to um, Sam's point, service line based governance, which is always interesting um, when we get to the standardization. But um, the real question here is, you know, it doesn't matter who it reports to. And, and again, it, I don't really care either, but there are six or seven things that really need to be there for it to work. Um, so number one, clear lines of authority. You know, having a clear line ensures that whoever is in charge of it has decision-making capability, can do policy important, and can do risk management concerns uh, around the medical device security. So, so you've got to have clear lines of authority, no matter where it reports. Um, accountability, strong communication. Um, somebody who can, again, bring that collaboration, right? It's not one person's job. This is not siloed. This is not siloed. This is all of our jobs. Um, so really around uh, that, wherever it reports, standardization, that's where that service line governance gets a little weird because sometimes uh, they don't get along with their neighbors, we'll just say. Um, then that same, that same governance location reporting has to have that continuous improvement methodology and above all, and this is why sometimes you see that hybrid or that centralized model come to play more, is alignment with organizational goals. Are we all pulling the same direction? And I think that's something that Sam said. Are we pulling the same direction? Um, so clear lines of authority, accountability, communication, collaboration, standardization, always continuous improvement, and alignment with organizational goals. It doesn't matter who it reports to if you've got those. Very good. No, no responsibility without authority, right? We don't want anything like that 100%. going on. Ty? Well, I guess I'd say uh, Sam times three, Jason times two. <laughs> Sam wins. <laughs> Sam wins. Okay, go ahead. Just because yeah, I went first. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, not, not a lot to add. I would, uh, I would suggest, you know, some of the things we've seen, there is a, a there are a lot of hospitals that are, are, are uh, contemplating moving uh, clinical engineering, HTM, over into uh, you know, a report under uh, IT, uh, working alongside of uh, uh, security. We see that a lot. Um, we, uh, there are organizations that take components of that and say, okay, well, this, these aspects will be managed because they're more similar. Uh, but in, in that case, you really need to make sure you're defining who has uh, um, authority, accountability, responsibility, who should be consented, who should be informed. So maybe the racy, kind of the racy approach um, so that no, no one is uh, finger pointing. 
I would also uh, throw out, you know, maybe a, you know, in a, a, having a, a committee, making sure there's a committee uh, that has ISIT clinical uh, representation, compliance representation, and uh, so and having the the leader of that that committee uh, to be really the bridge or the translator between. So, like Sam's incredible, right? We uh, for anybody who has had the opportunity to work with Sam previously, I, luckily I have. Um, you know, she has the ability to speak in kind of the different languages of security and. Uh, clinical engineering and IT, which allows others in those different departments to understand why the operations have to be considered, you know, why clinical engineering is doing something the way they're doing it. And then IT goes, oh, okay, in that case, I understand that and we'll make adjustments. So I think that, uh, you know, if you have one, if you don't, you need to, to build one uh, internally. All right, very good, Brett. I really liked what Jason had to say about aligning the security risks with the overall risk governance of the organization. I think that's a really great way of focusing uh, what the organization is doing on what the broader organization wants to do. Because um, when you look at it, a lot of times you've got two, these two disparate groups, right? IT security and biomed slash clinical engineering. And there's a gap there. And what we really need to do is bring those two knowledge sets together. And one of the really effective ways that I've seen to do that is to create a dedicated medical device security group. Then you've got people working together who have the clinical engineering background and who have the IT security background together in one group, and they're responsible for ensuring the security of those medical devices. Um, you know, we are a medical device manufacturer. We provide services. Uh, we provide secure medical device security services. That is another route to go for particularly organizations who don't feel like they have the capabilities to implement this kind of thing. Leverage your suppliers to be able to provide those services that you may not have in-house. Um, that's another option. And then recently an idea came up uh, on a panel that I was on to rotate clinical engineering and IT security on like a three or six month rotation in the other group. That way they can get an idea and understanding and knowledge of what it means to control security risk or to you know, have to support the clinical workflows of that, that uh, department. Um, that could be a really great way to bring those groups together and to create that knowledge internally. Um, I think Sam and Jason both mentioned that uh, a lot of these groups are moving under IT. I think that's a really great place for uh, medical device security to sit because when IT security owns the topic, they're really pushing that as the focus of the program. Uh, versus potentially when clinical engineering is, uh, you know, it's sitting under clinical engineering, the focus is going to be on that clinical care process and not disrupting the process and keeping things the way they are. And sometimes you need that disruption to say, okay, you know, that, uh, that procedure is working fine right now from a clinical perspective, 
but it's not working from a security perspective. So what? how can we change this so that security is satisfied and the clinicians are satisfied? Brett, you just mentioned, you mentioned before uh, that security can't get in the way. Um, right. So, you know, that's, that's the tough call, right? What takes, what takes primary uh, priority? Um, security can't get in the way, but security has got to be taken care of somehow. So what are your thoughts there a little more? Security can't be a blocker, but a lot of times, security is going to drive changes in those clinical workflows, right? It may not make sense to have a rotating series of technicians who are all using the same account and they're just walking up to each machine and they're checking on it and then the next person's coming up and they're checking on it and then they're using the same account. Yeah, that is what was done historically in a lot of places. And maybe there weren't even accounts on these systems, but we live in a different world now. And so how can you change that workflow so that you've got, you know, you're able to identify the employee that's performing the exam, that you know who's logging in, that you have tracking and logging without disrupting the overall uh, ability to perform those procedures. Jason, that's always a tough conversation, right? When, when you're I want to saying... have, I want to comment on Go this ahead. one. Go yeah. Ahead. Um, and again, hashtag be like Sam. Um, <laughs> so, uh, she said it's, uh, cybersecurity is patient safety. Okay. So, so when, when we say things like security as a blocker, security needs to not be, it needs to be Frictionless security is this sort of extra thing. It's not. You cannot perform the function of modern healthcare going forward without security and IT and those infrastructure components in place. You just can't. So, so I mean, I think words mean things here. So I wouldn't say security is a blocker. Security needs to be you no, know, not in the way of it. Security needs to be self-evident. You know, we, we do this. The reason why you have to have strong authentication, the reason why you have to have encryption and monitoring and risk management on medical devices is because if the threat actor, the bad guy gets in and does something to it, it could have a kinetic real world impact like that. It's patient safety. It's one of the three legs of the stool that, that the delivery of whatever that modality is delivering in, in the clinical environment or to the patient, it's part of it. And so I think that's also a cultural and language change we need to instill in folks that I can't have this uh, as something separate. It's not because it, it's part of the DNA and needs to be part of the DNA of all solutions we're, we're deploying now. So cybersecurity is patient safety, is patient care in a lot of cases, because it allows you to, do, to, to deliver that. Now do it as frictionless as possible. But the only way you do that is by making it self-evident from the beginning. That's such a great point, Jason. Jason. I really, Go ahead, Brett. I really like what you're saying. And I think that that is like the North Star that we want to get to, right? That people aren't thinking about security as being separate, something separate, that it is part of, part of that patient safety topic in general. I guess I just don't feel like we're there yet. And so in this transitionary process where we're like, you know, culturally we're moving towards it not being a separate topic, we still need to talk about 
security and clinical workflows and how we bring those things together. Well, and Brett, let me let me just say that probably goes back to the governance conversation we're having, right? Systems that have good governance and bring all these multidisciplinary groups together have the conversations that Jason's talking about, right? It's not about uh, one group pitted against another group, right? It's all of us, again, pulling together. And so having conversations with clinicians so that they understand what risk is, right? We're all aware on this panel that healthcare is the number one targeted industry, right, for cyber threat actors. And so we all know this is a problem. We all need to be having these conversations across our entire ecosystem with clinicians, with physicians, with our C-suites, with our boards, to go ahead and and, and educate them and, and help them understand that security is not a blocking uh, department anymore. It's an enabling department. And what it's truly going to enable us to do is perform healthcare, right? If we don't have appropriate cybersecurity departments helping to protect us, right, we are going to be shut down. We are not going to be able to, to, to provide care, right? We're going to be shuffling all of our patients from our ED to somebody else's ED because we've uh, succumb to some kind of cyber attack. And so, uh, again, great governance, right, and understanding the North Star, to your point, uh, is really where we need to start from, right, to get all of our organizations on the same page with uh, with Jason's thoughts. And I think, you, I think this is absolutely right on. Uh, <clears throat> so when you're having that conversation with a clinician or a clinical group, and you're talking about workflow that needs to be changed, and you're getting that pushback, that th this is somehow or used to be inviolate, right? Workflow is workflow. You work around the workflow. You don't disrupt the workflow. Well, that's over. To Jason's point, to your point, Sam, that's over because your workflow, and perhaps in the scenario we're describing, your workflow is built on, a on sand, okay, from a security point of view, and it cannot continue as such. Ty, it makes sense, right? I mean, this is the new approach. Workflow is not inviolate. It's not sacred if it's if it's not secure. Correct. I, I would I would agree with everything. I, I would I would default to uh, to Sam and Jason. They're you know they're 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 so close. They're 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 living they're living it every day. And uh, I, I think the the workflows that are impacted um, that that we deal with. Are are related to applying the uh, the security and how how we can do that um, without uh, with with the least amount of impact. Right, the, uh, Jason mentioned frictionless. Right, so we got to get there. Things have to be, you know, to a certain level. But let's do it in in the least uh, in the least uh, with the least friction we can. Um, so this is really. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, want to change topics a little bit. Um, and and Brett, let me bring you in first here. What's the relationship between device utilization management and risk? And I think that utilization can be a great tool to reduce risk. Every organization that I've looked at has a large number of devices that are underutilized or not utilized, and right there we're looking at risk that's sitting on your network that doesn't have to be. So like as an example, we see infusion pumps as being one of the highest risk categories of devices and hospitals typically have way too many of them. If you don't have utilization data, departments are typically asking to buy more or rent more and more. 
But once you have that utilization data, you can reduce your fleet of devices and reduce your risk from those devices. So like, let's say you've got uh, only 60% utilization of your infusion pumps. Now you can get rid of those leases or get rid of those devices, save a bunch of money and reduce the risk from all of those devices, which were probably vulnerable in your, on your network in the first place. Um, the other example I like to use is with larger devices. Let's say you've got five MRI machines that are all running, you know, Windows XP and Windows 7. Those are going to be inherently vulnerable. And let's say you only need three of them, and you know that from the utilization data. Now you can decommission those uh, two devices, eliminating those risks entirely. You're saving money on the maintenance of those devices. Maybe you can even resell the two and then use those funds to upgrade the other devices. So now you've got an up-to-date fleet with fewer devices and fewer risk overall to your organization. That's good. That's a good approach. Sam, uh, utilization management. You know, this is, and, and Jason will touch on this, but Sam first, um, a huge trend in IT is application rationalization, right? We want to get rid, we got five of that kind of do the same thing. Let's get rid of three or four of them. We save money. We reduce our security exposure. It's the same thing here with the devices, right? So what are your thoughts? No, uh, Brett hit the nail on the head, right? So if you look at it from a pure finance perspective, right, there are reasons to look at device utilization so that you can minimize the risk. Um, Jason said the word a couple of times, right? Standardization is the key in healthcare, especially uh, for him and I that have multi-hospital systems that I'm sure we've acquired over the years and they've got various vintages of all kinds of different makes and models of stuff. And, and the standardization not only helps you from right a utilization perspective, but also from a risk management perspective, right? So when we went through COVID, right, we had uh, hospitals that were busy and we had hospitals that weren't busy. And being able to move devices from one hospital to another, right, to manage the, the patient population is incredibly helpful. But if those devices aren't standard, right? And they are unutilized. You can't transfer them because then you got to train the staff and then you got to figure out, uh, you know, where we're getting disposables from. And there's a whole host of other issues that you've got to overcome. So um, I would say even before we get to device utilization and reducing risk, I would start with standardization, right? And as you go through your standardization exercises, you can look at your device utilization and determine, can you downsize? Um, I will say, right, to, to, to Brett's comments, um, we always have to balance the device utilization with um, what our community needs are, right? We all do community needs assessments, um, and we do want to ensure that patients aren't driving an hour to right. get a service. Uh, and so sometimes those underutilized MRIs that sit in the middle of my rural hospital that is definitely not utilized 60% of the time uh, is a good choice to have. And so, um, right, I would agree with Brett. I would just, I would balance that with um, where healthcare needs to happen, especially in our rural communities, uh, to ensure that we're meeting our, our patients' needs. And you just want Absolutely. to... Absolutely. I would say yeah, you you always have to look at the environment that you're working in. And you can't ever just say, oh, we've got 30% utilization, we've got 50% utilization, let's slash all these devices. You've got to talk with those groups, you've got to understand why they have those devices, 
you know, they may not know they have those devices or they may, right? They may have those extra devices because of, you know, burst utilization or they need it in a particular area and they, they can't share it or something like that. So, yeah, definitely to Sam's point, it's not something you can do in a vacuum. You have to be talking with those groups to really understand why the usage is the way it is and what the need is. Can I, can I jump in? So yep. one, of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, we, um, we have 2,000 hospitals uh, using our, our technology, 7 million devices that we're protecting and monitoring. Uh, so we, we really uh, understand this. And par- part of the way that you accomplish this utilization is through a, a technology we use called deep packet inspection. We are, it's a different, it's a different approach, uh, a lot more work up front, but it, it provides us the ability to see into the, the packets of information that are going across the network. This is the passive monitoring that, that, that Brett was talking about. But in that cybersecurity data is also utilization data. And it's, it's never been seen before, really. And um, just to kind of take it home as an example, because just this last last week, I was traveling with um, uh, a cybersecurity director for Ascension Health, 139 hospitals, 124,000 medical devices in their network. And they had this fiscal year, uh, so they're about, there's a few months into this fiscal year, had projected they were going to save um, $4.8 million in um, savings from reduction in devices uh, that were, they think they had 900 million to, to replace the ones they needed to. So they're, so they're really just going to try to reduce uh, uh, those that, that really need to go and that they're not necessarily using enough. And so they are already at $7 million in savings and now projecting $20 million in savings the first year. This will be ongoing. Uh, and, and those were the numbers that uh, they were sharing as we uh, were, were traveling and doing presentations. So these are real numbers. They are big numbers. And um, uh, a lot of it comes from that deep packet inspection. Very good. Jason, what what are your thoughts around, uh, you know, and it, it's a great point. It, it you may not decide to shut something off for certain reasons, but at least you want to know, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think device utilization management and risk are um, completely interrelated in a healthcare setting. Um, I'll, I'll, I kind of top two items for me, identifying risks and mitigating risks, right? So identifying risks, um, using device utilization management, we're going to understand what's the effect of utilization of these devices. For instance, uh, how are they being used? By whom? What purposes? Uh, And that's critical for identifying potential risks associated with device misuse, unauthorized access, or improper handling. So if you can watch the utilization data and understand like, hey, that's really weird that this, you know, this MRI is acting this way at this time of night on this particular days of the month, Um, which rolls into those things like I'm talking about. Um, when you understand device utilization, you can, you can spot things like abnormal usage patterns, uh, potential sources of vulnerability, areas where security controls may be lacking that you thought you had there. Um, and so that kind of rolls into, again, the mitigation of risk. And we talked a little bit about um, optimal allocation. So 
utilization management really ensures that medical devices are allocated and, and, and used optimally, you know, reducing the risk of things like overuse or underuse in the organization when supporting our, our populations, patient populations, um, which 100% could lead to safety issues or operational inefficiencies, if nothing else. Uh, and the uh, risk mitigation that comes out of something like that, um, uh, when you look at it, you can, for instance, limit access to certain devices to authorized personnel only. And see, and that can mitigate the risk of unauthorized use. And, and uh, this, uh, not to plug Medigate, but we have it. We, we have it deployed here at, at Multicare. And, and recently, I had a third party that had um, a, a security event. However, they were delivering a modality to us in a, in a remote fashion that was essential to operation, clinical operations. What we're able to do, and this goes to kind of that deep packet inspection that, that uh, Ty mentioned there, we're able to say, hey, I know that this device, in order to maintain the clinical modality that this is providing for us, this device needs to talk to this system only in our network. And so during the event, we're saying, okay, we can, we can sever this connection out here with, with the third party. So there's no sort of chance of, of ingress of a threat actor there. But how do we now maintain that internally just in case there was something wrong? I'm able to go in, look at it and say, these devices, these devices, boom. And that's going to immediately provide the, the continuity of care. A lot of times I think our jobs here is continuity by design, not security or privacy or compliance by design. Continuity, business continuity by design. Um, so how are we, we were able to take that and then isolate and provide the control around it until we had an all clear on that. But the good part, the sort of the side benefit of that mitigating that risk is when we kind of turn that back on, we kept that segmentation. We kept that segmentation. Mm -hmm. So so now we know that's all it needs to be and, and, and it works and it's much more secure. And that's that idea of frictionless security now, right? Only authorized people, only the authorized systems. So even when we were sort of event horizon past from the active threat, we now out of that, we're net more secure, less risky as an organization. So um, I think they're intertwined. That was a very good story. Very interesting uh, anecdote there. All right, let's go to our Ask a Co-Panelist section. Ty, I want to give you an opportunity to ask one or more of your co-panelists a question. Okay, wonderful. Well, what I think uh, would be great for the, uh, the listeners is if, uh, Sam, could you talk a little bit about uh, your role at uh, HSCC and some of the, the free publications that are available for individuals on the topics that we have. I've, I had the luxury of you know, being on some of your work groups, uh, and I, I think everyone would, would benefit from knowing about those, those, those documents. Sure. So, so medical device security and governance, right, are topics that that there are a lot of resources out there for. And I know there are some health systems that struggle because uh, they don't have the appropriate staffing or resources to go ahead and and really dig in to topics like this and really get their arms around it. Um, so, so to Ty's point, I'm going to advocate for a group. It's called the Health Sector Coordinating Council at healthsector.org. Uh, and, and it's, uh, the, the public private partnership between the U.S. government and all of the health sector, our manufacturing friends, right? Those of us in actual healthcare, the insurers, you name it. And they put out guidance for you. And it is literal, helpful documents that tell you how to. It's not high level. Well, maybe you should do it this way or you, 
maybe you can implement this. It's very detailed guidance as to how to help mitigate your risk. And so um, we actually uh, last year published a, a medical device legacy document that tells you how to secure your, your legacy medical devices uh, and minimize your risk around those. There are documents out there around governance. There's supply chain risk management out there for everything else. Uh, you know, and and then uh, the the premier document that that uh, they published a couple years ago and just updated this year is called the Hiccup, uh, which is the healthcare uh, practices document. And so, um, if you need help, right, and you have nowhere to start, and you have no people to go look for stuff, start at healthsector.org. Um, and they have a, a list of documents that are very useful for you to start implementing security controls and understanding what your risks are uh, and, and mitigating those risks in a very uh, low-resourced kind of environment. Excellent. That was a great question, Ty. So thank you for that. Uh, Brett, how about you? You have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Yeah, I was going to ask Sam a question, too. I hope that's okay that we're not just all putting you on it's the all right. spot. We'll here. get Jason in soon. We'll get Jason in. Sam's very I'm popular. I'm going to ask questions also, so it's all right. He's very popular. <laughs> okay. um, Go ahead, Brett. I know that so you've talked about your clin clinical engineering background. I saw that that has been your career history for the most part. Um, how did you get into I, into security? What did you do to ramp up your knowledge and your capabilities on the security side? Yeah, so funny enough, years ago in a previous health system, it was actually an audit finding, right, that that our IT department didn't have a robust enough medical device security program. And so they came and tapped on my shoulder and said, we know nothing about medical devices, right, and we have this audit finding that we need help with. Uh, and so ultimately, right, I knew enough to be crazy dangerous. And so you continue to go out there and learn, right? Uh, I hate to say we all need to continue learning and growing as, as especially as cyber threats continue to change our landscape dramatically. Uh, and so, right, I went out and started studying, trying to understand exactly what their regulatory burden looked like, where the audit finding was coming from, what minimum security standards were, what controls needed to be put in place. Um, and ultimately, I think I found um, it doesn't necessarily differ, right? Whether you're an IT person or whether you're a clinical engineer, whether you're a facilities individual, right? If you can get to a mentality around risk management, we're just managing different risks that are called different things, but fundamentally they're all the same thing, right? And 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 we need to, uh, somebody said it earlier, right? We need to talk each other's language to really understand, right? What we're doing internal to our departments, what we're doing outside of our departments across the enterprise to mitigate those risks. And so, um, you know, there are programs out there. Amy has an educational seminar to teach clinical engineers about security. Um, uh, there's all kinds of certifications out there that individuals can go gain to learn more about healthcare. If you want to get into healthcare, cybersecurity, um, fundamentally, it's just about growing and developing and applying what you know to an area adjacent to where you are. Uh, Jason, I'm sure you've had a very similar experience learning about medical devices, right? They weren't a thing 20 years ago. Gosh, you know, um, and and you're you're vectoring towards where my 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 question around this or my ask a co-panelist was, which is going to be more of a shotgun approach. I'll call ask ask co-panelists on this one. Um, so I've I've been dedicated to information security in healthcare probably the last 13 years now. 12, 13 years specifically um, in the healthcare for that environment. Um, and even in that, which I would consider a short period of time, 
the the threat landscape has shifted dramatically. And and and, and one of the things that came up and that's been coming up over here, still comes up today, is hey, that's a legacy device. Hey, it's 510K certified. So I'm not going to touch it. I don't care how much of a risk it is to you. And there's just like been this little shield that's sort of uh, around things like, mm, that sounds not convenient to me. I don't think I'm going to provide you a solution. So go go secure yourself. And I get that. I have received that over the years from uh, medical device manufacturers. It's like, hey, security is not my thing. Patient clinical care modality is my thing. So you go do your thing and I'm not going to do your thing. And, and, and so from, it's interesting to see things that are, that are, that um, our technology, not, not classic IT technology, but they are technology sort of not have that or not be willing to shift, not, not be willing to shift and medical devices in, in, in the past, not so now. Right. But if I'm just looking at the last decade or so, I've been like, nope. I got my piece of paper here says, I don't have to do anything. You can't change anything. I don't have to. And slowly it's, it's those federal um, mandates and an organization, organization like um, Sam's and mine that are saying, Hey, no, we need you to play your part. We need you to play your part in this risk profile. that's here around medical devices because they are their own unique thing, but we need to fold them into the standardized thing. You can be uniquely standardized, specifically ambiguous, I don't know what your term is for it, but you're going to have to help us find a way to wrap that. Again, micro-segmentation. How close can I bring that security permit around not touching or impacting with the medical devices, yet still providing um, risk reduction organizationally? And I think uh, and um, we've mentioned it again, a couple of themes. That's a culture thing too. That's a culture. Nope, I'm just here to do this one thing. Mm. Well, this now needs to be part of your one thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think folding some of that stuff uh, with medical devices, like I said, it's way different than like, I'm going to replace that laptop. I'm going to update this switch. I'm going to get a faster internet pipe. I'm going to consider AI down the road. I mean, all, all these, it's different than that because these are things that directly impact patient care. I mean, directly, and that means kinetic event possibility. So, um, uh, so all of that, how, how organizationally you're handling things and I mentioned my, my, my favorite friend there, uh, uh, 510. 510 can certify things. I can't touch this. I'm not going to touch this. I'm not going to update this. How are you mitigating those risks in the organization? I'll throw it to Sam first. You know, like the devices that like, no, I refuse to move that. It's a giant MRI. Yes, I know it's running Windows XP embedded. We're not going to do anything to it. So uh, what's your approach there? Yeah, we use a lot of compensating controls, right? So, so fundamentally, right, and I said it earlier on, right, we look at risk uh, at an enterprise level. So first off, is it internet connected, right? And so if I have a device that's internet connected, that's legacy that I can't do anything with, that's a huge red flag for us. And we try and figure out, does it have to be internet facing? Can we reduce the risk by pulling it inside and right, not having it face the internet? Or can we put multi-factor in front of it, right? We, we look at all kinds of varied uh, other risk m- mitigation tools or techniques to go ahead and try and mitigate whatever risk that is. And then ultimately, if the risk is still too high, the answer is to replace it, right? You, you have mm-hmm. to advocate for replacing that technology with newer and updated technology if the risk is too big for your organization. Um, so at least that's what that's what I'll say. All right, we are almost out of time. So I want to give everybody an opportunity for what we'll call uh, somewhat of a a lightning round of final thoughts. Um, so uh, let's say 30 seconds, 
something like that. Um, Ty, let's start with you. Your best piece of advice for a uh, healthcare IT security professional listening to this and sort of trying to get their arms around this problem. What's your best piece of advice? Well, it's the same piece of advice that Gartner is giving. Gartner is saying, go out and find a tool like Medigate and some others and have a Pepsi challenge. Uh, put them on your network and let's see what it is that you're not seeing mm-hmm. uh, on the on their continuum of care where they, uh, they they say what the different stages are in fixing the uh, cyber physical problem. Uh, the third step is, oh, wow, because everybody comes to that moment where they're, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I had all these things on my network. So uh, find out which one works best for you and find out, you know, show yourself that you're not getting the visibility that you need to actually take care of this problem. Great stuff. Great stuff. Jason, your final thought. Okay, I've got two. So number one, like we talk about, develop a robust governance structure. So uh, if you don't have it, start today. Establish a clear governance structure that promotes cross-departmental collaboration among IT, IT security, clinical engineering teams, um, and the greater um, clinical care teams and risk in the or- at the organizational level. There needs to be a clear line of authority, accountability, and communication regarding medical device security because they are us, we are them. Uh, and, and, and the second item on there would be invest in that, in that culture change too. So that's investing in education and training. So continually educate uh, and train your staff on latest cybersecurity best practices, regulations, technologies, but also create awareness about the potential risks associated with medical devices and help promote a culture of security in that thought space as well. Those are my two. Excellent, Jason. Sam? Yeah, I I double down on what Jason said. And then right in that culture, I would just get them to live cybersecurity is patient safety, right? If, if every one of your clinicians can say cybersecurity is patient safety, right? You have won the war. Excellent. And Brett, we'll give you the last word. Thank you. I guess, first of all, I would just say, just start. You know in your organization where you might be able to start pulling these lifers to improve uh, medical device security. Maybe it's purchasing tool, maybe a tool, maybe it's uh, bringing an organization together, maybe it's changing the culture, but nothing's going to improve if you don't start now, and now is the best time to start. And secondly, utilize your suppliers. We have deep expertise, and we're ready to help you right now. Awesome. Yeah, managed services, any kind of outside help is big, very big in cybersecurity. These days, you can't do it on your own. Uh, regarding, uh, that's about all we had time for today. Regarding continuing education, you could use the slide, the last slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Sam Jacques, Jason Elrod, Brett Harris, and Ty Greenhall. I want to thank Siemens Health and Ears and Medigate by Clarity for sponsoring and making it possible and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.